Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. The race for Utah's first district house seat has three Republicans. Only one will emerge after primary day. This is KSL's debate with the three candidates. Decision 2022 with hosts Maria Chaleos and Lindsay Ayers on KSL News Radio. Good afternoon. I'm Maria Shaleos, along with Lindsay Ertz, and today we welcome candidates running in the 1st Congressional District. Representative Blake Moore and his challengers, Tina Cannon, Andrew Badger. And we're hoping this will be a more conversational a debate about the issues that are important to all of us, and we're kind of taking a more casual approach. So thanks for joining us. And we will begin by giving each candidate two minutes to make an opening statement, and then we'll jump into our questions for the candidates. So we've done a coin toss uh, to see who will begin. Carlos Otiles Fortune, our producer here, keeping time for us to make sure each candidate is given an equal amount of time, and we will hold you to that time. So with that, let's get started. We'll begin with opening statements. Andrew Badger will go first. Well, thank you. I want to thank KSL Radio for hosting this debate. Really appreciate it. I want to thank Tina for reminding me to turn on my microphone. It could have been a bad start. <laughs> but, um, my name is Andrew Badger. I'm running for Utah's first congressional district. I'm a fifth generation Utah. come from a long line of pioneer ancestors. Utah really shaped and molded me into the man I am today, from high school football to Boy Scouts. Uh, I live in Ogden. I'm look, really looking forward to raising my family here. I later served with the Defense Intelligence Agency. I was a civilian uh, intelligence officer. My job was basically to collect human intelligence to support our military. I volunteered to deploy to Afghanistan in 2014 uh, in supporting operations there. Uh, last three years I've been working in the private sector uh, as a political risk advisor. Uh, I really, I moved up my timeline to come back home here to Utah because I believe our country is in a state of crisis. You know, we have a broken border. We have skyrocketing inflation. We can't afford baby formula while we're shipping billions abroad. And I felt no sense of urgency from our current representatives. There's no sense of resolve to really fight back. And the symbolic kind of wake-up call for me on that was the collapse of Afghanistan. We had a devastating defeat for American foreign policy. We left Americans behind enemy lines. We armed a terrorist state. And there's been no meaningful consequences. We have a, you know, a review going on, but there's been no material sanctions against General Mark Milley or Lloyd Austin, Anthony Blinken. They're still in office and still, still running the show. And I think this speaks to the broader lack of accountability in this administration. And that's really why I'm running. I think we need to start fighting back uh, three key parts of my platform. First, we have to dismantle this administrative state, get rid of things like the Department of Education, get that funding back to the states. Second, uh, we have to assert more congressional oversight. And third, we've got to get back to an America First platform. We've got to secure our border. We've got to be energy independent again. Really, I think all of us share the same goals in this room. It's a question of means. 
Are we going to take the old GOP establishment approach or are we going to take the America first approach? Fight boldly. We're going to work together with others, but we're not going to compromise our values. That's what I think we should be fighting for. I'm really proud to have earned 59% of the state convention, having been vetted by the state delegates. And if you want to learn more about my campaign, you can visit my website, Badger, B-A-D-G-E-R, 2022.com. Okay, thank you. Tina, Cannon, you'll be, you'll be up next. Thank you. And thank you for hosting us today. It's, it's always a pleasure to be in the radio station. So I'm Tina Cannon. I'm running for Congress in the 1st Congressional District because this is my home. I spent my life in the 1st Congressional District. I'm the only candidate who can say that, that I've lived here, worked here, served here, voted here. I know the issues well because I've spent time working on those issues as a, as a local elected official, working together with other elo- le- elected local officials to solve these problems I've, I've spent time as an accountant. I'm a professional accountant. I've spent my specialty is in federal, state, and local taxation, especially for small businesses. So I've seen the impacts that we've experienced in Utah, especially in the small business community during the COVID crisis that we've been going through. It's been devastating for small business. And now we're looking at an increase in taxes one more time through the Biden administration. That will be devastating to to businesses and families right here in in northern Utah. Two years ago in my convention speech, I predicted the hyperinflation that we're hearing today. I understand what causes hyperinflation. I also understand how you turn it around. And that's the most important issue that we are dealing with in Utah today is the raising of prices across the board. It's starting with our fuel prices, and that is devastating. Families, small business owners, farmers, ranchers, All of us are feeling those impacts. It is crucial that we turn this around. And we need someone with that kind of experience who knows how to turn it around and how to fix this problem. Um, Again, if you'd like to learn more about me, tinacannon.com is my website. I'd love to have you reach out and, and join our campaign. Most important part of this election is participation. When people don't participate, we end up with the extremes controlling things, and we see that a lot in Washington. So everybody get out there. You've got your ballots. It's time to vote. Tina, thank you. And Blake Moore, your two minutes. Thank you, Lindsay and Maria. It's uh, always a pleasure to be here. I've been able to to share my message a lot on this platform, and every opportunity that I get to... To be able to communicate to constituents about what's what's going on, what the reality on the ground is, um, is always an opportunity to both Tina and Andrew look forward to the discussion. Um, I think we've, you know, we were able to do another one of these a week ago, and uh, it's important dialogue for voters to be able to understand uh, the truth, the reality, and, and and digging into that. So, born and raised in Ogden, played a little college football, uh, got to spend time in both. You know, E from Utah and Utah State playing, finished up my education, and then I went back to serve in a very unique role back in Washington and, and out in Southeast Asia. Um, China on the forefront is a major issue. It is our top geopolitical concern going forward. And I was able to um, to serve our nation in a unique capacity in the diplomatic and intelligence world as I have to be a bit coy about how I communicate it. But it was it was a perspective from that that, that has been so valuable in this role, in this first term in Congress. Um, back in Utah to, to, to start raising my family, worked in consulting, and I, on a whim, decided to run for Congress a couple of years ago. And it has been um, the most overwhelmingly positive experience of my life, and uh, I've enjoyed serving the constituents. It's been an unprecedented time to be back there. If you've seen the news in the last 18 months, I think you would, uh, you would agree with me. And I've tried to always focus on substance over artistry, making sure that my constituents understand what the reality is. And the three things that I boil it down to and the things that I'm most proud of is, is one, 
The amount of pushback that we've given and pushback on President Biden. He has created crisis after crisis from an energy crisis to an inflationary crisis to a foreign policy crisis to now to to everything that's going on. Even right now, he cannot get out ahead of any of this and it's bad economic policy. But we've still found a way too to be productive and fight for things that are important to the northern Utah from Hill Air Force Base and to actually being able to produce legislation that matters. And I've developed a key focus on debt and deficit. And I actually hope we get a chance to talk about that today. For many of our listeners who may be joining us, you are listening to a debate with Utah's first congressional candidates. Now, as we begin the question and answer portion of the debate, we ask that each candidate keep in mind uh, that at this stage of the campaign, most people know what you are against. And this, we hope, is an opportunity for you to tell people what you are for. Each candidate is going to get 60 seconds to respond to each question. If you call out one of your challengers, you'll be given 60 seconds for a rebuttal. And in order to get as many topics as possible, we're asking each of you not to backtrack on topics during both your answers and rebuttals. And please stick to the current question. So last night, uh, the House Committee investigating the attack on the U.S. Capitol held a televised public hearing on their months-long investigation. First of all, did you watch the hearing? And second of all, what new information did you learn for it, from it? And we'll begin with you, Tina. So I listened to it. I didn't watch it live. Um, new information, no. This has been going on for 18 months. And that's the unfortunate part of all of this is today the the news story that today is that we are at a 40-year high of inflation. And instead of talking about that today, we're talking about what happened at the Capitol 18 months ago. I think that's it's being used as a distraction. It's unfortunate that our own representative voted in, there were two votes that allowed this to happen, and he voted for it in the first one. And that's unfortunate to me. Um, where you, instead of focusing like a laser on bad policy that is impacting families, Farmers, ranchers, dairymen, the, the moms that are putting gas in their car every day. Instead of talking about those record high prices, we're talking about something that happened 18 months ago. We are bankrupting people today. Today. It's time. It's time that we focus on what's really important, and that's the economy. So first of all, let me say we will get to all of those issues. Uh, Blake, I will give you a 60-second rebuttal. Excellent. So does that mean I get two minutes? It does. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, this, is, this is part of being in the arena. I was in the Capitol on January 6th. I was, my, we had a patrol car in front of my house that night. Like, I experienced it. I know exactly what happened. I know all the context what happened. During the impeachment trial, let's be very clear about my record. I voted for a bipartisan January 6th commission that would have done something drastically different of what the, what the, the sideshow you shot, saw last night. We have, we have no, info, no new information that played out last night. What I voted for was a bill that would have created an equal number of members. It would have created no members of Congress on this commission. It would have also created joint subpoena power from the majority and the minority, something that is unprecedented, something that is very important when you do an investigation like this, and it would have been done last December. That's what we voted for. The fact that this one exists is because the, the Republican leadership decided to not go that direction. Even though when it was impeachment trial, there was, hey, let's do the bipartisan January 6th. That's what, that's what Leader McCarthy did. And I worked with them on it, and it was the right decision at that time. Three months later, when it became not politically expedient to do it, I maintained my consistency. I said in my impeachment no vote, when I voted no on impeachment, I said, but I supported bipartisan January 6th commission, just as our leadership has outlined. A few months later, it wasn't politically expedient anymore. But I would rather make the right vote and show up to my constituents and explain it to be able to um, ultimately 
earn their trust over time. And that's what I've done with this. I did not vote for this commission and anything that's related to Pelosi's by her very hyper-partisan January 6th commission. This is all trying to be done in an election year, and we were pushing for it to be completely done all the way last year. Look, I will never make central to my campaign a day when police officers were attacked. I will always have law enforcement officers back. And um, even if it's a tough political moment, where it's like leadership, hey, let's go away from this at this point. You know, I understand the context and I was actually there. So thank you. Turning to Andrew Badger now, uh, your response to this question, your 60 seconds. Did you watch the hearing and what new information did you learn from it? I've seen the highlights. I agree with Tina. I mean, it's basically political theater going on. I mean, we need to set the record straight, Blake. You voted for House Resolution 3233. In that bill, it describes the event as a domestic terrorist attack. So how are you going to get this bipartisan objective commission investigation when they're from the get-go labeling it a domestic terrorist attack? In that bill as well, it gives broad authority to the commission to inf- to investigate public and private sector entities it considers relevant. That is way too broad of a mandate, and that's why Mike Lee voted against it. He said it had too broad of a mandate, had too broad of subpoena authority. Also, it looks into the, on H.R. 323, looks into the influencing factors for what happened in January 6th. Obviously, that's going to lead to the same kind of result we're having today. We're going down this witch hunt uh, and going down this never-ending rabbit hole. Uh, and then, I, I would like to add that on top. I mean, Blake, you voted for a censor resolution. That was one of your first bills you sponsored. You said President Trump violated his oath, oath of office. You said tr- President Trump tried to overthrow the election. I want to know what basis you made those claims Blake your 60 seconds to respond absolutely again this is uh, Mr. Badger's entire message that he's trying to create and I will never make my entire message about a day when police officers were attacked it was a day that we can never relive again the commission that I voted for would have been able to identify and figure out why we didn't take the intelligence that we had because I believe there was enough intelligence that Speaker Pelosi Working with um, being able to have, we should have had the National Guard there earlier that day. That's that. That's simply that we all absolutely agree. When we were evacuated, there was no protocols on where to put us. We were it was it was complete mayhem. Again, I experienced it. Those are the types of things that we would have gotten to in the commission that I voted for, and it's important to be able to correct that record. But I will I will look. I, I spoke in front of Roy police officers the other day, and. Um, I looked at them and I said, folks, I will always have your back, even if it's some random political thing that needs to, you know, needs to play out. It's, it, it, it's a fun thing and it's an opportunistic opportunity for challengers to hit me on it. But the reality is, it is simply our idea to do it and I follow through with it. You did address the censor resolution. Why so, that? Yeah, Kevin McCarthy stood up on the day of impeachment and said, look, President Trump does bear some responsibility. The direction we should go is a censor resolution and a bipartisan January 6th mission. I thought that was a sound point plan and a proposal again we can't have members unconstitutionally not certifying an election it was unconstitutional to not certify the election i did that even though i was told you know it's this can be tough for you politically to 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 not look like you support president trump i do support president trump look at all the good that took place we would not have five dollar gasoline and all the work that i've been doing to try to you know make sure we push back against this horrific economic policy that's where my focus has been since day one of President Biden's. Go back and look at my newsletters. Go back and look at my tweets. Everything we've been doing is economic policy and energy policy, and I continue to focus on that for the first district. Now, as a follow-up question, you will each have 60 seconds to respond to this. We'll start with Blake. As a follow-up, do you denounce what happened on January 6th, and what action do you believe Congress should do to protect the integrity of our elections? We can, um, yeah, January 6th was a horrible day. We can't relive it. Again, and here's the problem, though, it didn't, that is, it's hard to get out because may all, most of the media is so left-leaning biased. They don't even highlight the fact that in 2005 and in 2017, 
there is a handful of Democrats. It wasn't as many in 2021 that that objected to the election, but there was a handful of Democrats. They did the same exact thing, but you never hear about that. Friends of mine, I talk about. We have to make sure that Congress understands its constitutional role in certifying the election, right? And then and all of these other things that the hype that all that's created can't go, we can't go there. Democrats have done this for the last two elections and they get no heat for it. And I have the credibility to be able to speak out against that because, you know, when I see something that's wrong, whether it's on the Republican or Democrat side, I will push back. Justice Kavanaugh has people threatening him at his home for his life. And I can credibly push back and call against that as well. Okay. We turn to Andrew. Andrew, do you denounce what happened on January 6th? And what should we do? What con- what can Congress do to protect election integrity in this country? Of course, any type of protest or riot should be denounced, just like the summer of 2020 should be denounced for all of its violence. And there's no commission investigating that. I mean, again, we go back to this bill Blake voted for, H.R. 3233. It labeled the event a domestic terrorist attack. I don't know how you can believe that. You can believe that day was wrong, but to the label just domestic terrorism, you would enable this government to turn this national security state against the everyday Americans. What we're seeing with FBI using counterterrorism resources to intimidate parents at school board meetings. We have to secure elections. We have to restore confidence in them. We have to get back to voting in person. Uh, we have to prevent big tech from censoring our election. We have to make sure outside private groups like uh, Mark Zuckerberg aren't providing this funding to these local county commissions. And we have to make sure that the state legislators are making election rules, not the courts. I think I, I would support the Save Democracy Act. we got to get, again, back to ball- paper ballots, voting in person, and we can't go along with the left's narrative. This is why this is, this is so important. It's about judgment. It's about are you willing to stand up and fight back against the left when they spin this narrative, or are you going to cave to them? That's why this is so important. It shows judgment, and when we say these things are domestic terrorist attacks, we're buying into the hyperbole of the left. Okay, Blake, you did call you out again. Would you like to rebut? This is his message, and it's simply, you know, this was the strategy that Republican leadership laid out during the impeachment trial. And just because I stayed committed to it and consistent for a bill that would have gotten, would have never been able to allow for this witch hunt to go on and this media frenzy. This is prime time. They've hired ABC producers to do this stuff. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's simply, you know, the best way to have avoided this was to be able to, to actually credibly come back and say and do exactly what I did. So I, again, I'm running on my record. I navigated the whole January 6th stuff very credibly and, and I'm, and I'm, and, I, and I'll always have our law enforcement's back. And Tina, your 60 seconds. So I was running on that record, also standing by fundraising with Liz Cheney last October because that doesn't seem to address the um, politicization of, of, the, of the process. John Dingle said it best. You give me the procedures and I give you the policy and I will beat you every time. This is a rookie mistake, Blake. It, to not know with that first vote where they were going to take it is it's unfortunate and we deserve a congressman who can see around the corner and see that this was going to be nothing but a political game but let's go back to it of course of course we all denounce what happened that day i think we all learned that as small children before even kindergarten you don't follow the guy in the hat with the hat with the horns on it and the cape come on we all know this we, of course you denounce that but what the federal government does to to ensure um elections very very little because this is a local government issue and having been elected locally in counties where these decisions are made it is enforced through the through the county clerks and the rules are set at the state legislature i trust them by far more than i do the federal government you're running this debate yes, right? you're, you're the one asking Go. the questions mm-hmm. correct so when you talk about seeing around the corner 
we go with what my strategy was, what what the Republican leadership strategy was in January 2020, we actually avoid everything that's going on this month right now. We avoid last night. We avoid all that. There is no way to. There is no way to. Uh, you know, consider that the, the actual bill would have had us done last December. Um, Speaker McCarthy, Leader McCarthy, we're going to work hard to get in the majority, so he's he can he can take take speakership. He did a, he did a fundraiser for me the week the month before. Speaker uh, Liz Cheney was in was in town for another event. We had a lunch together. There was people who wanted to meet her. That's not that big a deal. She's one of the most. <laughs> you she's one of the most. So let's not interrupt one another. Let's not interrupt one another. She was there for an event that evening. We did a fundraising lunch that day. I'd never said that I haven't. It was clearly a fundraiser. McCarthy's in doing a fundraiser. Cheney's in there doing the fundraiser. I serve on committee with Cheney. We share a board. Like at that time, it was hey, there's some people that want to meet with you. Uh, let's do a fundraiser. It's not that big a deal, but you okay. can make this like the whole entire thing again. Five dollars in gas, and uh, Liz Cheney's been you know like very I fear supportive. We're going to spend the entire time on this one issue, and it's really one. super That's obvious. Not me trying to talk about it, I'd like to get to the question about gas right. prices. Right. We, we Just we real quick to. on rebuttal. I mean, because he's going to rebuttal because he didn't there. call you up. Yeah, there you okay, go. He's there we go. Okay. Mind. Thank you, Maria. Uh, we need to move on. I want to move on to gun reform. Uh, we had 10 mass shootings over the weekend. At last count, at least a dozen people dead, 60 injured. There was another yesterday that left three people dead. Americans are really struggling to understand why mass shootings like these happen, especially school shootings like the one that we saw in Uvalde where 21 people were killed and what can be done to prevent them. Now, the House this week passed a gun reform package that includes uh, raising the age limit for purchasing semi-automatic rifles from 18 to 21, banning high-capacity magazines, creating safe storage uh, tax credits there uh, tighten the regulation of bump stocks and ghost guns now congressman we know how you voted uh, against this bill so for you please explain your vote and for the others tell us how you would have voted and explain why you wouldn't have voted for it and forgive me i've lost who's going first i believe uh, i believe it's me we are at blake yes uh, correct you see, you see that i voted um no on that legislation I've lived, I've lived actually, um, I agree with your point. I have lived under Speaker Pelosi's process and it is, it's horrific. It is not what's best for the American um, community. It's not what's best for any community across our country. Everything she does is for messaging. Anything major. I and mean, we had a lot of suspension bills done and we can work on legislation that makes sense, but every major item is for, is for messaging. Um, you don't see any collaboration. All those bills, they were, we voted on them Wednesday. We didn't even get into session until Tuesday evening. There was no input, no collaboration, nothing like that. The, the framework that we need to be going off of is addressing mental health, is school safety. All right, I'm on I'm on numerous bills that are that, that are they're geared towards that. There's, there's there's good support across the board for that. She won't put that on there because she can't message against it. And um, as you continue on that and, and enhancing our background checks, there's lots of good bills that Republicans are leading on, making sure that we can actually address this issue. Um, it's one of the most emotional times. Well, I had young boys in, three, four young boys in school. Well, not their baby, but it's, uh, it's tough. And the emotion of it is, is really hard. And, and um, we have to have adults back there trying to actually solve problems and not what's, what you see with Speaker right. Pelosi. Thank you, Blake. Andrew. Oh, we've had some terrible tragedies in our country. And my heart goes out to all the victims. But we can't allow the left to try to politicize these tragedies to score political points. And the problem is the old establishment GOP approach like Mitt Romney, where you basically go along to get along. We start caving to the left when they drive the narrative. So we say, oh, well, let's raise the, uh, the age on buying assault rifles. When they don't even really define what an assault rifle is. Assault rifle has the capability to use three-round bursts, automatic 
that's kind of like the rifle I took with me in Afghanistan, HK416, great weapon. Uh, but, you know, we have to have, stand firm, stand resolved. I think we need to protect gun, our gun rights because it's not about deer hunting. It's about a fundamental right of a free people to not be subject to government tyranny. It's about your right to defend you and your family uh, and your security. And so I would support uh, fighting back against red flag laws. I support uh, the Gun License Reciprocity Act. If you have a gun license in Utah, it should work in other states. And uh, as well as the Gun Owners Privacy Act. I mean, again, we've seen this government uh, weaponize the institutions, security institutions against everyday Americans. We need to stand firm. We need to fight back against it. To address these issues, we need to invest more in mental health capabilities. I agree with Blake on that. We also need to harden our schools and protect our children. Stop wasting money abroad. Use that money to protect our kids here at home. And Tina, you get the final 60 seconds. So right now, there are more federal regulations over what you serve for school lunch than protecting our schools. That's really sad. It's really sad. But I would be more in support of the bill that was introduced in 2013, Grassley Cruz. And it did two things. It enforced the database reporting. If we're going to do background checks, they ought to be decent background checks. You ought to actually have the reporting of anyone who's who's committed a crime with a gun in that database so that you can stop them from purchasing. And then you need to prosecute when it's violated. And if you're not going to do those two things, introducing new legislation is not going to help. Because we're trying to go after criminal activity by enforcing it against law-abiding citizens. That's not going to solve this problem. But we do, we can walk and chew gum at the same time. We need to start talking about mental health, health issues in the United States. And that is a serious problem right now. And it's not, there are other similarities besides the gun that was used. And we need to be able to focus on those. These, these mass killings, they're talking about doing it online before they do it. Why aren't we tracking that? All right. Thank you for your answer. And when we come back following the bottom of the hour news, we're going to focus on inflation and the economy. Eight out of ten Americans say the economy is the most important issue this election. Stay with us as our first congressional debate continues. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Republican debate for Utah's first district house seat. Decision 2022 on KSL News Radio. And thank you for joining us this noon hour for special programming for the primary elections. Maria Shaleos, Lindsay Ertz with you, along with Representative Blake Moore and his challengers, Tina Cannon and Andrew Badger. And we're continuing the question and answer portion of our first congressional district debate for listeners who are just to- uh, joining us. Each candidate being given 60 seconds to respond to the question, with the other two given 60 seconds for a rebuttal if they're called out by name. Well, let's begin this next round of questions with the economy. New numbers out today show that inflation rose 8.6% in the past year. 
It's the highest in four decades. Gas, gas prices in Utah now over $5 a gallon. And we'll begin with Andrew. What do you believe is the role of Congress in bringing down inflation? And what would you specifically do to make that happen? So we have to be very clear. This is an artificial crisis created by the Biden administration. They've been spiking gasoline prices, which is a primary causal factor for why we're seeing inflation. I think it's Congress's role to hold this administration accountable, provide that oversight. I would support three different areas. First, we have to stop printing money. We got to get a balanced budget amendment. We have to support, I think, support the Price Act, where we have to have three fifths of the Senate in order to price uh, vote for a spending bill if there's inflation going on. Second, we need to streamline regulations, especially in our supply chain. Support the Ship It Act proposed by Mike Lee, where basic similar legislation where basically we would reduce those regulations or supply chain. Third, a lot of our health, uh, costs going up are in healthcare and a lot we still have a lot of mandates, uh, COVID mandates and people getting fired for that. We have to fight back against those. And then finally, we got to get Congress back doing to its job of actually passing bills. We have these omnibus bills. The last one was 1.5 trillion in March and basically did this procedural tactic where they split it, the vote into two, but they the representatives going into it like Blake knew that if you voted for one aspect of that bill, it, you voted for the rest of it and you enabled the rest of it go through. One bill was passed the Senate. Mike Lee didn't vote for it. One bill was signed by uh, Joe Biden. So we complain about this inflationary cost, but then as Republicans, we enable these bills. If we needed to spend on the defense spending, we should have broke that into a second bill and not been blackmailed by the Democrats. Sorry, and Blake, we'll give you 60 seconds to respond to that, and then Tina will be your turn. Excellent. Thank you. (laughs) I think we'll be doing that a lot. I'm glad that Mr. Badger here uh, has been able to do his homework because he was incorrect a week ago, and I'm. I, no, you voted you know, for the defense. I, I wasn't incorrect. I appreciate the. Uh, That's why the, the Heritage Foundation downloaded you. All right, Andrew, let him speak. Please, let's not interrupt. I appreciate the media for actually stepping in on that. When I read some of the articles afterward, and where they where they did uh, the the fact checking and understanding what I actually voted for. When you're the representative of Hill Air Force Base, um, it's a sacred duty to to support the uh, the military bill. The majority of our time was spent focusing on. Um, the NDAA, uh, it's not called the NDAA, it's called the NDAA, and you fu- you, that's a fundamental bill that funds Hill Air Force Base's important projects for our national security. Um, and so that bill is what I voted on. That's as clear as day. Whatever happens in the Senate is what happens in the Senate. I don't control the process. That's what's called being in the majority versus the minority. The majority controls the process. That's why I remain focused on winning back and spending as much time as possible to ensure that Republicans create a balance of power back in Washington because we desperately need that against Biden administration. Okay, Tina, you're up. All right, so I feel like this is the most important issue that we're dealing with in the United States today is inflation. It is definitely the most important thing that we're dealing with in the 1st Congressional District. And so it's time that we actually have a congressman who knows what causes it. I pointed this out two years ago. If federal stimulus was not limited and targeted, you would have hyperinflation. The highest level of inflation in 40 years is the definition of hyperinflation. You can go out there and see it on my website. We've kept the the timestamp on there so everyone can see. I understand what causes it. It's federal government policy gone awry. You can turn it around the very same way. We need the Biden administration to put things back the way they found it on energy policy. Anytime you constrict the supply of fuel, you you will raise the price. That is a basic economics issue. These are women's issues. It is women that are out there buying the groceries that have now increased astronomically in prices. that are filling the gas tank that are trying to balance the budget with these issues going on. It is incredibly important that we deal with it and deal with it today. Blake? All right, and fundamental to your question was is role of government. The role of our, gov- our federal government is not to self-inflict this. A $1.9 trillion uh, American rescue plan that was masqueraded as a COVID bill 
was the direct cause of eight over eight and a half percent inflation. Again, as you started, as we started this program, we heard five five dollar gas. Um, this crisis that has been brought on by Biden has to be addressed by making sure that Republicans get back in there and and, and get our economic policy in place. I have a bill that would would disallow it would force the Department of Interior to per to. Um, approve permits and leases within 30 days from the review that, that that goes on. We have a we have a six package deal in the Natural Resources Committee that we're ready to go with day one. Grijalva's not going to put it on the floor. We know he's not because they're just they're all they talk about is climate change. They don't actually worry about um, energy issues. Energy is the best way to be able to, to 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 address this right in the meantime, but not voting for all this nonsense. From the last year and a half, that's I'm proud to have that record to be firmly against every aspect of this Biden policy. All right, next question. Hill Air Force Base is in your district. It's one of the state's biggest employers. Each of you have addressed the housing issues on the base. But my question for you is, what will you do to ensure Hill remains on the cutting edge and doesn't become outdated and in jeopardy of downsizing? And I believe that we begin with Andrew. No, uh, oh, sorry. I am going to get my sorry. turn eventually. <laughs> I, I apologize. Please go right ahead. So this is why it's key to have spent my life in this district. I've lived these issues for 50 years, being living, working, serving at Hill Air Force Base. I have a husband who's deeply involved in the aerospace industry in northern Utah and on the on the ground-based strategic deterrent program. Um, that's a, thir- a 10-year, $13.3 billion it's a guaranteed contract at Hill, and we're going to see that growth happen there. Keeping it efficient and so that we don't experience the brain drain that the aerospace industry has had is by keeping the funding consistent and solid all the way through. And that is a guaranteed contract, so we're there for that issue. But you have to remember that it is, it is the people at, Hill, at that Hill that keep Hill the most efficient base in the United States. And that is a partnership of the people, the the servicemen in the Air Force that are stationed there, the civilians that are also working those programs, and the support in the community around that makes it a great place to live and work and, and for our servicemen that are stationed there, making it the federal, state, and local policies that come together to make their lives better as they're stationed at Hill. Blake, your 60 seconds. Thank you. I serve on the Armed Services Committee and uh, the GBSD program that Ms. Cannon brings up. Uh, it's called Sentinel Now. It is... It is key. It has been our number one priority in last year's National Defense Authorization Act, the two bills that my challenger said they would have voted, they would not have been supportive of in the last debate. Um, that's what, that, was, uh, that is that what they said. We will you give you both so time to rebut. The, the, our number one submission to the NDAA was for the Sentinel program. It is on our list of top ten again this year. So, yes, it is. it was signed before I got in there, but the that was in its infancy, and we continually to make sure that it continues to get its funding. That's on attack by some Democrats, and by us putting it into the NDAA ensures that it's there, and it, it will continue to go on. We're now almost at that steady state where we are. It's going to we're going to be able to see it all the way through. So these last two years have been awesome. Uh, Hill Air Force Base has been a top priority, and we've I've spent time on Hill Air Force Base. I've worked on issues from regarding making sure that we get um, our our servicemen and women the, the right type of cola. They're, they're, they're facing housing, they're facing all sorts of challenges that, you know, in the cost of living that they're not able to. We have to make it the most competitive place to come, and it is, and it's going to do awesome. And Tina, we'll give you 60 seconds to rebut to that, and then Andrew will give you your two minutes. Well, this is one of the reasons why I, why I took on a sitting incumbent. To sit in Layton, Utah, and listen to him take credit for a GBSD program that was 
10 years in the process. There was not one I that was dotted, not one T that was crossed that you had any part of. And to not give credit where credit was due to the 18 years that Congressman Bishop served is wrong to take credit for that. You did not take, you did not have anything to do with the GBSD program. That, it, but that's an important part of the record here, here, Blake. You can't take credit for things that were you had nothing to do with. It is it is life in that district and knowing how it impacts the families, the engineers, all of that. I know exactly where I was when the Challenger exploded. That directly impacted the aerospace industry in northern Utah. If you know the people and the families that those decisions impact, those political decisions that make the disasters happen. You, you need to keep the consistent funding and you need to remember who is actually the success of Hill Air Force Base. And it's it's not Congressman. Very brief. As she talks about consistent funding, that's my role. I did not sign that. I did not bring that to Hill Air Force Base. My job is to make sure I'm on the committee to make sure that it has its consistent funding. So I 100% agree. Andrew? So just two quick points. First, going back to this omnibus bill, you can look it up yourself. Go to the Heritage Foundation if you want to Google in Blake's record on that. There's a reason why the Heritage Foundation downvoted people who voted for the omnibus bill. There was only one bill. Yeah, there's two votes. It's a procedural tactic, what Heritage Foundation called a hidden ball trick, where basically it said if you voted for one part of the bill, you voted for the entirety of it. That's why there was one bill that went to the Senate. That's why Mike Lee voted against it. That's why there's one bill that went to, to Joe Biden who signed that bill. Again, go back to the Heritage Foundation. You can read their description of it themselves. We could have broken that bill out. We shouldn't be blackmailed by the left. We shouldn't be blackmailed by the Democrats. We could have split out the defense spending. We didn't have to vote for that omnibus bill. I never raised, I never invoked you, Blake. <laughs> Second part, Hill Air Force Base. I've served in Afghanistan. I was with a civilian with the Defense Department, Defense Intelligence Agency. I've been on the ground in a war zone supporting our military. I've seen the struggles these guys have gone through. We don't get the right supplies. We don't get the right equipment. We need people who understand these issues, who understand you know what it's like to actually be in a war area, war zone, and we're going to fight for our military service members. So I think there are three key areas. One, we have to be more aggressive in fighting for funding, especially for our ground-based strategic deterrent, especially for the depot modernization, especially for hypersonic missiles where China is surpassing us. Second, we have to have a prudent foreign policy. We can only use military force abroad when we actually have a clear exit strategy, a clear military uh, definition of victory. Right now, we're escalating the situation in Ukraine. Congress is voting for un, you know billions of dollars to Ukraine without any real strategic goal of enforcing this administration how to define victory. We're repeating the same mistakes we did in Afghanistan and Iraq. Third, we have to actually support our service members. When the NDAA bill came up, there was an option. Some representatives fought back and said, we're not going to vote for this bill until we remove the COVID mandate. You know, just because they're not dishonorably discharged is not good enough. No service member should be discharged from this COVID mandate. It's, it, it should not be in place right now. That would be the first thing I'll do is I'll stand up and fight for our service members. I've had too many people at Hillary First Base or National Guard reach out to me saying, I'm being discharged. Uh, they're losing benefits from that as well. And we should not be having that happen. We have to force Congress to do its job and to protect our service members and that would be a key part for me so again we have to fight for more funding we have to have a prudent foreign policy uh, we have to make sure that the uh, NDAA gets rid of these COVID vaccine mandates and we have to get fu- w- rid of these right, woke generals you, and we have to focus on lethality thank I want to make sure that we get to our next topic here so I'm going to move on to our next question if Roe v. Wade is overturned what would you do to support women and families with sex education and access to birth control like we start with you thank you so um, this is I'm, I'm, one thing I've earned in Congress is an opportunity to be supported by the Susan B. Anthony list, uh, right, National Right to Life as well. And um, that's an honor to be to be um, supported by those groups. And it has and it's come from a lot of actual really qualitative work that we've done in communication with them, particularly the Susan B. Anthony list. The key to this, we have an opportunity 
And you always have to look at these things as an opportunity. We have an opportunity to address something that's been in place for 50 years. Roe v. Wade has not been the direction that we should have gone as a nation. And we need to make sure that we have the right message coming out of this. I've served as a, as a board member for an adoption agency for foster care adoption kids. We have to be able to support adoption. We have to be able to make sure that resources are available and that people going through a difficult decision, that they know that life is there and that it is the best option and it will produce the best outcomes for their life. And now to Andrew, uh, if Roe v. Wade is overturned, what would you do to support women and families, sex education, and access to birth control? Firstly, we need, we need to make sure uh, the Supreme Court decision gets out. We need to protect our Supreme Court justices. These threats against Justice Kavanaugh are completely unacceptable. This Biden administration has been gaslighting the American people, saying, well, there's a lot of passion at these protests. It's unacceptable. We need to find this leaker of the decision. Uh, you know, we, we have a commission on, on January 6th, we have a commission on this leaker and actually find who did this and hold them accountable uh, so we don't have this two-tier justice system. And thirdly, I would protect women. And then one of the areas I think we need the most protection women is in women's sports. You know, there's HR 426, Protect Women and Girls Sports Act. It was only co-sponsored by one representative here in Utah, Burgess Owens. And we need to use that, kind of use the left's tricks against them, use that Title IX funding and say, we're not going to provide this funding if you allow men and boys to compete in women's sports. We have to protect women's sports. It's about fairness. It's about equality for women. And that's something I would stand up for and fight in Congress. Tina, your 60 seconds. So first off, um, I agree with the Supreme Court. This is a state's rights issue. This has been 50 years at the federal level. It hasn't been solved yet. I support Utah's trigger law that comes into into effect. This is a state's rights issue. But let's go back to what the question was. How do you support women? I immediately um, asked people to support Pro-Life Utah, which is a pregnancy crisis organization, which means they, they do what they can to support women in a, crisis, in a crisis situation. But let's be very, very clear on how you support women. It is never wrong to educate a woman. Never. And the more information she has both before and after a crisis situation in a pregnancy is better. And unfortunately, in the world that we're in today, I can speak to this issue in a way that my opponents cannot. These are women's issues, and we need to be able to speak to women can find a better way. I have all the confidence in the world that we are intelligent, smart enough, and have enough humanity to find a better solution than abortion. Okay. As our first congressional district debate draws to a close, now each candidate will now be given two minutes for a closing statement. (laughs) Ballots are already in the mailboxes, and this is your last chance to tell the voters who you stand for, and we begin with Andrew. I think when we look around, it's very clear. Our country is in a state of crisis. Our border's broken, skyrocketing inflation. You know, no one's fighting for us. We lack that resolve in Washington right now. And that's what this really comes down to. It's like we all share the same goals. We're all against abortion. We're all against border security. The question this election comes down to, are you going to fight back against the Biden administration? Are you going to fight to return the power to the people from this corrupt establishment? And really, I think that's what the question is. And I think there's two approaches. There's one, there's the old GOP establishment approach, the go along to get along approach. Or the second approach is when we fight back, we fight for America first, we're willing to work with others, but not at compromising our values. And a lot of this, again, comes down to leadership philosophy. Are we going to support Liz Cheney for leadership after she votes for the January 6th commission? Makes that her sole thing. Are we going to vote for her for the House Republican leadership position? Are we going to fundraise with her? Or are we going to support someone like Ron DeSantis, who's willing to boldly fight for America? That's what I think we need right now. We lack the courage and resolve in Washington. I'm very proud to have been endorsed by 59% of the delegates at state convention. They vetted us over three months, one-on-one interviews, kind of the stereotype, well, the, the 
the delegates are out of touch. No, I don't think they are. I think that they're just more informed. They're paying more attention and they vetted us more closely. I'm very proud of their support. If you want to learn more about my campaign, you can visit badger2022.com. Elections are out. This election is critical. We can't just go along with the same old, same old. We have to stand up. We have to fight back. We can never allow, again, what this tyranny has happened over the last two years. And it's going to be enabled by this old establishment GOP approach. I say it's done. I say we stop playing defense, we go on the offense, we take back our country, we fight in school boards, we fight in the state house, we fight in the state senate, and we fight in Congress. And together, I'm confident we can save our country, and I am optimistic for the future. I believe our best days are ahead of us because I've talked with our community, and people are sick and tired of what's going on, and we're going to start fighting back. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Tina, your two minutes. Thank you for hosting us here today. It's been a fun conversation. Always the livelier, the better. Um, <laughs> I'm going to start where I, I'm going to end where I started. This is about the people in the 1st Congressional District. These are people that I know. People that I've lived with, served with, worked with, voted with. I know these issues and I know how to best represent the people in the 1st District because this is my home. And if you want to see someone fight for something, threaten their home. This is my home. Inflation is what is just devastating families, small businesses, farmers, ranchers, dairymen. No one can afford these prices. And it's, we're putting people out of business, and it's going to get worse if we don't have a federal delegation who can stand up for Utah and Utah citizens and turn this around. Energy policy is key on this in turning it around. And we need to have action and have action today. Ballots are out, as you said. More involvement is important here. More involvement, not less. We need a better turnout at caucus and convention through the whole process. We need a better turnout in primary elections. Politics goes to the extremes when people don't get involved. And it is up to everyone hearing us today and every, to get out and not just them vote, but get your friends and family, your neighbors, to vote as well. We need more participation, not less. And um, My website is tinacannon.com. I appreciate your support. I appreciate you hosting us here today. And I appreciate everyone coming out and helping us right through the end. The lecture day is the 28th. Blake? And Blake. Oh. Is it? Lindsay, thank you. <laughs> this, is, this is why I show up to this. I want to be able to communicate to my constituents um, every chance that I get. Um, my constituents know me. They know where I'm from. They know that I will work incredibly hard. I think that's the one thing that we hear constantly from people. Thank you so much for, for over-communicating and working really hard. That's something that I can absolutely commit to. The other commitment that I will be very clear about, and let me just go ahead and restate it, is my commitment to Hill Air Force Base. Right? Um, it's, uh, it's been a tricky political environment back in Washington since the day that, uh, since January 5th, when the uh, Senate flips blue. That became the most aggressive liberal push our nation has ever seen. And, and Speaker Pelosi has just uh, ran the process into the ground. They've enabled no proper minority opportunities. They come up, getting rid of the MTR, things like that. It's all, it's all policy wonky, but uh, it has been a difficult thing to navigate, and I am so proud to run on my record. And I'm proud to have worked closely with all of our defense equities in Utah to make sure Hill Air Force Base is supported. Look, I've always focused on substance over artistry. Utahns have always been about substance. Um, the, the optimism, though, that I have to continue to communicate to my constituents is that in all of these crises, and there's been many, we could, we could, we could go on and on. We could spend another two hours on this debate talking about the things that are, that are creating so much turmoil for our families. But President Biden has earned his low approval rating. 
people, Americans are getting what Utahns have known all along. And the conservative principles create upward mobility. They create energy independence. They create strength on the world stage. And liberal policies do the exact opposite. Never before have we had an opportunity where Americans are seeing that play out right in front of their eyes. From their gas to go from 2 to $5 in a short 16 months. And this is the opportunity that we have to go forward and go win back the majority in both the House and the Senate and put our country on the right track. And I hope that the voters will give me a chance to go back and continue what I've started. Thank you so much. Big thanks to all of you for being here today. Maria, can I do one correction? I said the 28th. That's in person on the 28th. Mail by the 27th. Make sure that postmark. Definitely a voter correction we can do. Big thanks to Representative Blake Moore, his challengers, Tina Cannon, and Andrew Andrew Badger for joining us in the first congressional debate and for sharing their thoughts on issues important to voters. And our special primary election coverage is going to continue next Friday with a debate of the candidates in Utah's third district, and that will happen from 3 to 4 next Friday. Thank you you all for joining us today on KSL News Radio. Maria, it's been a pleasure. It's been a, a pleasure to have you all here. Thank you so much for Thank your you time so much today. Thank you. Thank you. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America, but this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.